Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Chaluminati Podcast, episode 175. As always, I am one of your hosts, Mike Martin, joined by the Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell of LA, Alex and Jesse. Hello. Hey, uh, it's Rosalind Russell. <laughs> that, that had the same. Je- you, I, you can't see it, podcast listeners. Jesse just had like a normal blank stare. It took like a second, and then all of a sudden, the confusion. It took me a minute to register. <laughs> I was like, what did you just say? I here think, we are. I think definitely between the two of us, Jesse's the Cary Grant. Well, obviously, please. In the relationship. Well, yeah. But, uh, you know, that's a good one. I like that. I, nobody loses in that one. Those are two sure. delightful human beings. I bet they you were. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Two beautiful, beautiful people. One day you're going to have to... I know there's so many movies you need me to see, but one day I would like you to, to guide me into like the black and white classics of like old school movies because I have never really dipped my toe except for when my great grandma liked to watch stuff, but she liked to watch like the same movie over and over again. Casablanca. I want to make you watch the old, not like, you know how there's everyone's like the classic black and white. No, I want to make you watch the really cheesy, super fun, ultra goofy slapstick. I'm down. I also want to watch like the old like monster movies too. There's listen, I got you. You're coming to the right apartment. I'm like a, I'm like a newborn babe in the entertainment world in this regard. You know, you've got so much to show me. Yeah, you're coming. You're coming to the right apartment this weekend. But why are you coming there? Uh, well, because <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, but also because uh, we've got a live show in October 25th. We've got a live show at the Tetra. Now, I don't know Ballroom. if you're aware, <laughs> but Alex has told everyone that. Jesse's big smile is happening. (laughs) And if you bring your redheaded friends, I will smile. Bring what always happens. This is what always happens. Bring a visionary. A visionary has an idea and then it's it's taken right out of his hands. Be my wingman. That's the Illuminati podcast as a whole right there. Jesse's big smile. Can, can we have some people bring duct tape and, and like a magic marker so when they buy no. the t-shirt for no, Alex's don't Big make Smile, it, they can write Jesse on it and yeah. slap it? Jesse's Big Smile. <laughs> you know the vibes. Alex's Big Smile. One minute into the show, be there, be square. You know what to do by now. I've been talking about it a lot. You know what's up. If you're a redhead, you know what? Go talk to Jesse. I'm engaged to be married. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're going to come talk to my pal Jesse, you better do it with a mouthful of fucking plastic glow-in-the-dark vampire fangs like everybody else because that's what it takes to do the big smile, people. One minute into the show. You think I'm going to fucking forget? It's in five days. No way. If I forget, oh my God. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I want to know how, how long you've been doing this bit now. Like, how long? Too long is the answer. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> agreed with you. If you are following along with the show and you believe that I just like to manipulate people with patterns and phrases over long periods of time just to see how long they will believe in something that's never going to actually happen. I'll see you one minute after the beginning of our show on Tuesday in Los Angeles. ChiluminatiPod.com. Buy tickets now. I'm going to say see 20% of the audience is not, going to be, is not going to be wearing fangs. No, we'll be wearing. <laughs> we'll be, I, I'm going to say the first three rows, yes. Everyone else, no. I think you're going to be surprised. I think it's going to be blinding. I think you might need to have your eyes checked. You think it's going to be blinding? Is that's because yeah. you're going to buy like a novelty sized bag of them and hand them out on the way in? No, no, I'm not going to do anything of this. No, sort. but I think there are people coming with extra. I've seen, I've seen the discussions in the Discord. I don't believe it's our the Big Smile Street Team fans in attendance have the Boston baked bean <laughs> balls to come with teeth in their mouths. 
I don't think they'll do it. Come bearing teeth, you fuckers, you blood, <laughs> you sexy blood suckers, you blood suckers, you goddamn blood sucking Sorry. bastards. They're allowed to suck our blood as we suck their money out through their what? pocket through Patreon. Ha ha. Woo. <laughs> hey, what he's talking about is very important. <laughs> Patreon.com slash ChillimanetiPod is the lifeblood of our little show here, our little corner of the internet, if you will, where we go to keep our jobs if you know what i mean so head there get stuff in return get ad free episodes get pre-sale get art get uh shirts that look insanely the last shirt that that you showed me is like so cool i don't know have you ever not announced that it's yet? not announced yet it's not out where we're we're picking we're picking a launch day as we speak it's worth signing up for patreon just to find out what the shirt is that's how tight <laughs> it is it's, it's uh, like it's great. If you've been listening to the if you've been listening to the pod for a while, you're gonna want this shirt. That's all I'm saying. And dare and, I uh, say, Mel has produced maybe some of her my or at least my favorite posters sickest, that she's made so far. The sickest stuff. They just keep getting sicker too. You know what she's I mean? Like very, it's like very, almost I literally, low key. I stopped giving her suggestions on what I want for like the focus of the poster and just like let her go. I'm just like she's part of it more than we like. She's it's like her thing. You know what I mean? Like and she's making stickers for the Yeti now, which is awesome. So congrats yeah. to that. That's been sick. And not the I ones on it. our shop, like just extra ones. So if you when you see those stickers drop, grab them. Support our girl. Also, minisodes every single time we put on an episode. Also. Every month you get an episode of Rotten Popcorn added to your extremely long, large library of movies that nobody's ever heard of or seen that Mathis somehow finds for us to watch together on this show. Uh, it's, it's weird. I've, I've, I've suggested one or two movies, and those have been some of the, uh, the most uh, watched movies, like the most popularly watched movies that we've done so far. Mm -hmm. Like me, Je me and Jesse's are like, the ones that have had views before and they're like, and that's saying something just get down there. It's a good time. We're going to have a good time uh, this month watching a movie that I've been dying to watch. So it's all going to be good. It's going to be hype. Ch Illuminati pod on Patreon. <laughs> Go there, pay the money, help the show. Uh, you know, this could be it. This could be all you need. You might not need any other entertainment in your life besides this soon if you just keep contributing to the patreon there's gonna be something for everybody i feel like you're trying to push off the beginning of an inevitable downer that yeah i don't I, like i don't yeah what, was what do you mean what do you mean i'm just talking about like what if we did a chaluminati cooking show that could be something if you go to the patreon that's a thing that's there what and, you know, not, no it's i not. have a kitchen here in the office and mathis is in town that's true we could do a chaluminati cooking show there wouldn't even be any body parts in the fridge yeah i know that's crazy because there might be some yeah. body parts in today's episode Ugh. Are we ready? Should we just dive in? Who's ready? Who's ever ready? No one really. Are you I ready? Am. Like, I mean, if you know what Jeffrey Dahmer has done, like, I think that's the best you can do is just like look it up before you hear it. Yeah. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just so you're not so run over by literal. <laughs> try to get the yeah. Try to get the basics. Know know what you're getting into. I have again. I have a lot of questions. Uh, once we're into it. I've got questions of the meat eater variety that I, I, I have thoughts. I have questions. Uh, there's some things I've heard. I'm just curious. So, yeah, I'm ready. Uh, well, before we dive in, then a big I also want to say thank you, because for uh, I don't know if you boys know, but for the very first time in a little over four years, we've been doing the show together. We actually finally cracked into the USA true crime charts. We have hit every other country in the world. Some places in top 10. Belize, we were number one for a little while. Like, 
but the Shout US out, never ever showed up. And uh, for the past two weeks, we popped on at the bottom. We're like, we were like 230 out of 250, but we we hung in there for a couple of days and then we popped back in there for another day the other day. So thank you guys for listening and, and for uh, continuing to tune in. That's a huge achievement for the podcast. That's right, so America. Thank you guys. Suck it. We're on your list now. Yeah, we can't get like, rid of the us. The true crime charts in the U.S. are fucking in like so difficult to get into. So I'm ecstatic. Also, shout out Belize though. Yeah. Oh no, Belize is fucking, Uganda is another one. We're like, we're like number three or four or something crazy. Like Shout out Belize and Uganda. Send us some treats from your faraway land. Yes. Ooh, delicious foreign food, please. Send me some rum, please. Come on. All right. Well, I think that's it. No more happiness allowed, Alex. We are about to dive back into part three of the Jeffrey Dahmer series. Sure, you don't want to just talk about Legos <laughs> instead. I mean, I would. I could talk about Legos all day long. I love Legos. Legos are one of my favorite things. But no, not right now. Uh, and in case Kirby, yes. you want to talk about Kirby? Kirby? Kirby's very cute. He also eats living things, like you know, kind of like Dom. You know what See, I mean? The I Dahmer. knew you were gonna get there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Oh, I'm not gonna get away from this. Well, in case you two don't remember, last we left Jeffrey Dahmer in last week's episode, Dahmer had committed his first murder, second in total, after nine years of not taking a life after the murder of Steve, who was merely hitch hitchhiking his way to a rock concert way back when he lived with his parents. So nine years, Dahmer did not commit any, at least as far as we know, murders or heinous violent crimes. Again, the only thing I can say is in Germany, we lose contact with them for a couple of years, but from what it seems like and from um, what the German officers and whatnot uh, looked into after they discovered who Dahmer was, nothing matched up. So it didn't look like he actually committed any crimes. And he had that two year stretch of trying to be extremely like religious and straighten up until he got that note tossed in his lap in a library, which he says is what began the downfall. And now after those nine years in the ambassador hotel, Dahmer wakes up in his hotel room to his second victim dead, Steve Tuyomi, a man he'd met the night prior at Club 219, one of Dahmer's regular hunting grounds. It's here, or rather it's there rather, with a drugged drink pre-made and ready to go that he took his victim back to the hotel for his usual pitch of having a good time. And after getting incredibly drunk on rum and coke and fooling around with each other, Steve Tuomi succumbed to the drugs and passed out where Dahmer, according to him, remembers laying next to him, stroking his body while he slept until Dahmer also fell asleep. However, the scene that was before him, with Steve's head hanging over the bed, blood dripping from his mouth, and a badly beaten and bruised chest with several broken ribs, showed that Dahmer, instead of falling asleep, broke into some horrendous rage and beat Steve Tuomi to death with his bare fists. This is the one where he's like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't well, know how this. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I, it was, it was this, well, it was the death of Tuomi here that Dahmer points to as the start, the catalyst to killing an additional 15 men and boys. And to keep in mind, it's important to keep in mind, all of them were, were men and boys of color and they hear Dahmer's own words on that night. I actually want to play a clip from a 1993 interview where they're actually uh, asking him about that particular night. So let's, let's listen to the clip. One time I brought this uh, young man back to the hotel room, the Ambassador Hotel. I uh, was just planning on drugging him and uh, spending the night with him. I had no intention of hurting him. When I woke up in the morning, he uh, had a broken rib here. I was heavily bruised. Apparently I had uh, 
beaten him to death with my fists. And you have no memory of it? No memory of it. But that's what started the whole spree all over again. And that's his own words in, like, what happened that night and how detached he sounds and just almost very matter of fact. The thing that's weird about this to me, and this, maybe you, maybe you're about to talk about this. I don't know. But I, we've done a lot of serial killers on this show. And there's always, like, one murder that's, like, the one that they're, like, well, this one, like, I did it, but, like, I don't even know how that one happened. That's so weird. And I wonder if there's some sort of, like, uh significance to that in the like mentality of a serial killer that that like there's some sort of like permission that you get from it being an accident or 100 something because there's something weird about it like beating someone to death is such a a uh, exertive like it's a hard thing to do without knowing that you're doing it right I, you and, know and uh, it's all about for for serial killers and the ramp up to their first kill or in this for Dahmer, almost like his, sec- his second first kill, where at the nine years, it almost like he resets a little bit. It's little, little allowances that slowly allow them or put him in a position where that particular fantasy can come to pass. If we look at Gacy, if we look at that first kill where the kid was in the kitchen making him breakfast and he came out with a knife and Gacy immediately attacked him and killed him and blamed that he thought he was going to get, he was coming at him with a knife and stuff. All of that was just an excuse or a reason or a position to put himself in to get that first one out of the way. So that when that barrier is removed, when he sees life goes on, when he sees he can get away with it, now it becomes something that he wants and it becomes almost like an addiction. I mean, he already chopped a guy up, right? Like at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, the hitchhiker and, but it was the, there was nine years in between that and this one. I mean, sure, but it's not like he like is a sober guy who. Oh like God, no, 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 beer, no! That's like not drank my, a beer nine years. That's ago. not yeah. my implication. It's more <laughs> yeah. my implication is more after that nine years. It's almost he had to give himself little allowances again before he got to that point. But it was much quicker this time. He was exposing himself to in public. Remember, like toward yeah, like he, he was just, very quickly he just, just went being to like, sleep. Up, 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 and now he's back to ready to kill. Yeah. One day he was nonviolent. He went to sleep. And the next morning he already was a murderer. So, oh, well, yeah, like, exactly. Know, Too to late decide. now. Really? Like, who cares? And yet, despite Dahmer's consistent like lines of feeling regret or sadness, also saying in a separate interview that this death, quote unquote, haunted me for a long time. His actions speak wildly different. However shocked or panicked Dahmer says he was that morning, it clearly was never enough to put in plan. uh, It clearly was never enough of like panic or shame to not put into motion a plan to hide the evidence or preserve the body for his own purposes. Shortly after the morning passed, Dahmer went to the local mall, mall to purchase a large suitcase then returning to the Ambassador Hotel and renting the room for another further night. Returning to his hotel room, we can only assume that he just sat with the corpse. In my mind, he likely was living out more fantasies throughout the day before night fell, where he would take Steve's body and stuff it into the suitcase, bring it down to street level, and hail a cab. And then from there, return to his grandmother's house, where he took the suitcase with Steve's body stored in it, and stored it into the in the basement in uh, his grandmother's fruit cellar. So like clear, like again, it, you hear Dahmer in his interviews and you hear him saying how he regrets, how it was just he wish he hadn't this, that and the other. And yet when the moment arises, he makes moves as though he'd had planned this out and was ready to go at any given time. He clearly didn't wasn't panicked for very long. I believe he went and bought that suitcase at 1 p.m., 
Like he didn't wait a long time before he put into motion the plan to, to store the body. You're, I mean, mm -hmm. there's no way that, that you can ever trust somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer to ever tell you what he's thinking because it's more natural to him to just change the situation using information that you can never know, you know, than him ever being honest. Like the idea of him having feelings that are factual, it, it probably doesn't exist to him. He probably just tells you whatever he wants. So I agree. It doesn't really, yeah. But, I don't know. but I think that we can also say perhaps you can plan all this stuff out and have everything set to go and be that guy who does it over and over and over again and still know that it's wrong. Oh, yes. Right? Like, I can know I shouldn't eat McDonald's, but sometimes I'm just going to go eat McDonald's. And I think that's it's like a human condition that it's quite possible that, you know, this is an elevated example of it, but he may be like, man, I didn't... Mm. Yeah, so oof, that was bad. Yeah, she probably shouldn't have done that shit. But still, it, it of course it sounds like it's something to us. It's like oh, he's just saying that because really he's a psycho killer and he's doing all this. But like maybe he really is like yeah, I'm aware. And no, and but I, I like doing it. That's <laughs> you know a, what I mean. Like that's that's what's in in and I think you know to both your points, it's the reason Dahmer stays so again, popular because he's one of the ones that people feel like they can empathize with. He puts forward a very uh, sympathetic, I guess, personality or, or, or kind of demeanor when he speaks. But, you know, like Jesse said, too, um, he may he, he is to him. I do think that all of that is is a form of manipulation. He does say things like, yeah, I did it. But I don't think he's doing it as like a way of of looking back and regretting his actions. I think he uses it as a leverage of manipulation to the person he's speaking to. I think, and, and most people don't see. He just that. doesn't care. When, yeah. When watch those interviews and watch what he says and watch how the interviewer always seems to react sympathetic or empathetic or why. And he just leans into that. He admits it, but in admitting it, he takes the power into his hands and he can use that to manipulate whoever it is he's speaking so to. That's what I'm saying. Like a lot of these serial killers, like. You know, the ones that just kind of do it, like like uh, Ed Gein, mm -hmm. like it's just like some weird s secret lab that's going on in his house. And <laughs> Ed Gein was God, yeah, he was just disconnected so from reality. But I think he just illustrates the mentality a lot better that a lot of these people have. I think De Dahmer has a really similar situation where it's mm -hmm. like just like he's doing it. He's not really thinking about the idea that anybody's ever going to find it. Like he's, you know, within reason making it so that he can live his life. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And I, that's correct. He's doing what he can to live his life. And this is only his first dip into allowing him to uh, ha live through the fantasies he's been repressing for so long too. And we'll see how quickly that becomes obviously a very slippery slope yeah. for Dahmer. Yeah. But you always get these, you always get these, these, the same scene at the end with these guys where they just sort of like the cops walk in and they're like, the hell and he's and then the the killer's like oh yeah i figured uh you guys are probably gonna uh, not like that <laughs> and like that's that's how it usually goes like it's because he's not thinking it's not it's it's different than like i don't know i i was gonna say son of sam but i don't actually know. no we'll talk about son of sam he's one of the next ones for sure but it's different yeah. than say tommy patera who had that or street shootout where he took off down the road and the cops were chasing him. Usually most of the time, like you're saying, they walk in and the killer's like, all right. At that point, 
they almost just have expected to be caught by now. I'm just saying if a sociopath, psychopath person like De Jeffrey Dahmer didn't want to be caught and that was important to him, you'd never catch him. Mm -hmm. Like if that was like what he cared about, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. look at like, look at like the Zodiac killer, well, right? Yeah. It's like, obviously the Zodiac killer cared about making an impact, but the Zodiac killer obviously also cared about not getting caught because the Zodiac killer did not get caught. Same thing with, uh, the golden state killer, the golden state killer liked the legend of his kills, but the idea of getting credit or, or, you know, uh, who was the one that the, the, uh, uh, not Ed Gein, but uh, the other hot one. The other hot one. The other hot one, Ted Bundy. Yeah, Ted Bundy, right? Like, or uh, the 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 dude from uh, who's in Mindhunter. Uh, oh, uh, Ed Kemper. The, yeah, the co-ed killer. Right? Yeah, well, well, Ed Kemper's another one. We'll definitely be covering. Bumble yeah, like, but Ed Kemper. They like to talk about like how good they were at doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. At, at being at being a villain, which is a totally I feel like a totally different uh they yeah, I think they both express themselves as killing, but it's interesting to see that Dahmer is more of like a you know, he he's he's in it just to he's almost like masturbating. Oh, yes. The, he is again, uh, we've talked about the different types of serial killers. Dahmer is the epitome of a product killer. He doesn't do the killing for the killing itself. He does the killing for the product of the body at the end for his own selfish reasons and uh you know talking to uh, speaking of bundy to use his own quote at one point during one of his many interviews and, you know he talks about he's like he says something along the lines of on the first murder you have everything planned out meticulously from start to finish so you don't get caught and you don't screw up by the 20th you forget where you put the tire iron like just like how it becomes so normal and you just like yeah second and you don't even think about it anymore it's just like how your apartment gets dirty yeah you just, like <laughs> like i you mean just kind of like leave shit around yeah then is I that explained then the whole i don't know apathetic or like blase attitude at the end where they're just like i think it does oh you got me yes they're just like they're so it's you know it's like if you they're so tired from hiding it all the time or doing all the with all the work that goes into not getting caught there's no point like they they know that it's wrong and 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 they're not trying to get away with it they just aren't making a big deal about it i think at the end of a lot of serial killers career i think you're right i think most of them are not trying to get away with it anymore i think they've just like they just some of them see themselves as untouchable others are just too bored or tired to care it's like a spider or a cat. Like they just do it because that's what they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I also think it's interesting the idea that all these people as killers, they have, you know, they take life. They are violent. They uh, like do all these things that you would think when the police show up, they'd be like, you're never taking me out. But I think it says a lot about the serial killer mentality that it's like, you know what? I, at the end of the day, I'm. It's like kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a submissive thing, but it certainly is like they, when the police show up, they're like, all right, you got me. Yep. It isn't like, I'm going to have a shootout with the cops. It's like, they don't want to go out like that. I, there's like, I don't want to no, say. because most serial killers are cowardly bitches. Like, there's, there, I mean, there's certainly, I, I can't obviously speak for every serial killer, but I feel like there is that, that is a trend where it's like, they have a distinct lack of spine when it comes to actually confronting people authority whatever like they either have to like uh hit them from behind or like drug always them or do and that's, all the time and that's like one of the reasons i really you know when we do our, our serial killer series i try to dive as deep as we can because 99 percent of the time 
They're just pathetic wimps behind the myth that's built around them. They Unless attack. they like the killing itself. Right? Yeah. It's and and there's, thing. you know, but like, you know, a lot of them, their victims are surprise attacked or younger or smaller or older. Like Son of Sam, when we talked about him, is a very, he's a whiny bitch. He's not yeah. a scary monster. He's a pathetic individual. He's like an angry, repressed person. Yeah. Pee Wee yeah. Gaskins, which will be way later. Like he's similar. Like he's. But. But, you know, on the other end of the scale, though, what's his name? Uh, the fucking luckiest man ever. Uh, the dumbest survival man ever. Boone Helm? Uh, yeah, Boone Helm, on the <laughs> other hand, right? Opposite type of serial killer, yeah. right? Like, dude just loves the fact that he can beat everyone's ass and just does it whenever he can. And somehow... Does it in the middle of the day, in the middle of broad daylight. You know and, what I mean? And, and totally somehow would get mentality. arrested and confuse the police, and confuse the sheriffs and the people and always, like, get away with it. Wild but what was time. his? But what was his... There was something wrong. Like, was, like there's oh, always was just, that yeah. one fundamental flaw in their character. Yeah, it was called being a child in the 1800s and being raised as a farm slave. Didn't and he get beaten. hit in and the he head was, or some shit? Yeah, he got hit in the head. He was fighting a full-grown adult at 10 years old in town. Remember, he'd be like... That's what I'm saying. Like, there's, there's clearly something in his youth that, like, yeah, oh, messed yeah. him up. <laughs> there's a lot of... Yeah. But, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's... Every single one of these people has that one, like, up! Oh, that's probably what did it. And it's yeah. really weird to look back at because clearly at the time they didn't know and no, but like now that we have this complete look at all these different serial killers, the trends are comical. Yeah. Cause every single time you're like, eh, oh, there it is. Yeah. You Here we go. Yeah. I let, but it's wild. I mean, it's wild. Like even looking at Gacy versus Dahmer. Right. Yeah. What are we talking about? 15 years difference, maybe something like that. Yeah. So Gacy was operating in the 60s and 70s. Dahmer operated in the late 80s. late 80s into the early 90s when he was on his spree. Except for that. Except for that. For the, like kill. the one first one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's uh, the same the same phenomena of like when your dad tells you a story about how when they were young, they would like jump in the back of a car and go on the freeway and like. Oh my God. Yeah. My mom has stories like that. And like, I'm just, just like, like it's, it's, it what? doesn't mean that much, right? It's just a, it's a, it's a little difference between how things were when we were children and how things were when our parents were children. And honestly, when I think about my childhood versus the way that babies are today and how 10 year olds are treated today, totally different oh, yeah. vibe and totally, totally sheltered and totally closed off and safe compared to my childhood. Right. But just thinking about that in terms of the whole society, right? Even from from Gacy to Dahmer, the entire system of being a serial, serial killer, because it has to do with being under society and operating in the like liminal space outside of society's rules, it just takes a totally different shape, even in even in very slightly different times. Just because, I mean, the Wild West. The only thing between the Wild West and now is the fucking 60s. You know what I mean? Like, that <laughs> yeah. shit, that's, you know, there's some sliding scale of laissez-faire and, and, and uh, you know, societal control over people and what sort of privacy you can have. And, you know, I don't know, something to think about. Well, Interesting. It, it's, uh, I'm so proud of you boys. You've come so far in your true crime thinking. I love hearing what you got. Oh, it's so nice. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm proud. I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, you're completely right. Like there's, there's, there's so much in terms of patterns and what you can look at, uh, and, and society having a mess, massive influence on serial killers and just the existence of, of, of surveillance technology, cutting down serial killers, 
you know, by a huge swath. Removing lead from everything seemed to have had a huge effect uh, on on potential violent on violent offending crimes. I'm interested um, in uh, COVID. Yeah, like, we'll see what happens in 20 years if we yeah, have like new I'm serial killers. In looking at the COVID violent killers. crime and COVID because right. I I remember reading about something being like like exponentially exponentially higher violent crime during the lockdown like, yeah that doesn't surprise me but we'll see what happens uh well, hopefully nothing as bad as uh yeah as bad as it could get um obviously from this point on i just want to put out a big old trigger warning for people we're getting into uh the worst aspects and the worst parts of Dahmer's existence so just <sighs> this is be... jeffrey Dahmer, folks i know i just kind of put that out there so obviously by now, Dahmer's renting rooms at a hotel while living with his grandmother and going to Club 219, one of his favorite clubs, along with a few others. But you might be like, remember, you, Dahmer needs money and he can't live off his grandma forever. So Dahmer actually had a job at this point. What do you think Dahmer's day job was? Unless you already know. Uh, but if you don't, I want to hear your guesses. What do you think Dahmer was doing for a day job in the late 80s in Milwaukee? In Milwaukee in the late 80s, Jeffrey Dahmer was cutting open dead babies. For no, I don't he know was not. The, the last job he had was a phlebot phlebotomist job that he lost. Okay, well, that's not that far off from what I I guess, so, yeah, you're right. He's yeah. pretty close. Gutting dead he's, babies and taking he's, blood. Uh, he buries pets. He, okay, that's he your burns, guess. He buries he, pets. He cremates family pets. That's my All right, guess. what do you think, Jesse? You think he's doing in 1988? Uh, some fucking morose-ass shit. Let's see. We have... Uh, previous killers being uh, chicken men. <laughs> and a chicken man clown. is like a very uncommon name. A clown and the chicken man. He was <laughs> the same person. The clown and the chicken man? He's the same person. <laughs> Nanny Doss, who was just mean. The clown, the chicken man, the mean, the fighter. I'm going to say, uh, boy, in Milwaukee, you said? Yeah, we're out in Milwaukee, out in the middle of he nowhere. He worked at a beer factory. You know, he was in a factory. It was not a beer factory, though. Blood Dahmer factory. was working blood at this factory. No, no, no. He was working on making his own blood factory at this point. He wasn't quite there yet. Um, Dahmer at this point was working for the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Man, hey, the, hey, he was he was one of the guys who managed the huge mixers, adding the powder to it and all that stuff. That's what he did. A lot of heavy lifting. Uh, that was Dahmer's day job. He was making sweets. This is the money uh, into the sweets. Yeah, he's at what? Did he ever uh, put anything to the sweets? Not that we you know. know how, like, you know how like Kiss uh, put blood nothing in but that? but Dahmer's love went into that chocolate. All right, yo, but just wow! I just googled Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. I was like, I wonder if they're still around. They still sell chocolate. I'm gonna assume no because the first thing that popped up was <clears throat> I worked at Ambrosia Chocolate Factory in Milwaukee from 1984 to 1992. A new Jeffrey Dahmer AMA, <laughs> and it's a Reddit AMA, and everyone's asking questions like. Obvious. A first question, like, what was he like? And dude's like, stunk of alcohol sometimes. Yeah, so no wonder. Go. That's the kind of that's the kind of thing. Drunk you're as get. hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, working at Ambrosia Chocolate Factory is where he got the money that fueled his predatory lifestyle while he was living freely at his grandmother's, who was none the wiser to his more nefarious activities. Steve's body in the suitcase would sit and rot under her house for a week. That's fucking crazy. For a whole week, all while that weekend. Thanksgiving took place just upstairs where his whole family came over. After the holiday weekend. How do you not smell that when you're like cooking Thanksgiving? That turkey, man. It's just too good. It smells too good. Too good. <laughs> they okay. just overpowered right. their old factory senses. After the holiday weekend, Dahmer once again took, a, took action that speaks 
to the opposite of his constant verbal guilt. Like a machine, someone who not only knew what he wanted to accomplish, but how to accomplish it, Dahmer went out and bought a knife to specifically dismember his second victim, decapitating the head, gutting his stomach, carving away the flesh from the bone, and then chopping that... Yeah. And then chopping that flesh into tiny pieces, which he would then place into heavily lined trash bags. You'd think like an axe or a saw, right? No, he was like carving away like meat off the bone. And once, once the bones were free of flesh, he laid them in a towel, wrapped them, took a sledgehammer, and slammed them and crushed them down into a powder. Again, honestly, that's the smartest thing you can do. It's methodical. It's, it's, it's too pre-planned. The process took him about two hours, and at the end, he simply left all the body's remains that were in the trash bags out on the street corner where it would be picked up by the weekly trash. So that's just how we got rid of it. You just put it in, and then trash people took it away. No one. Does that make you an accomplice if you're the trash man? <laughs> no, but it sucks because it happens so much more than uh, than you would expect in terms of like serial killer cases. That how long have we had the trash like that? That's a good question. When did our current garbage system come into effect? I have to imagine it was like the 50s or 40s. Did Gacy benefit from the trash man? He never. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think he. No, you know, he stored them all in his crawl space. Remember for some weird, you know, like. Yeah, he fucked up big time. He, he, yeah. Yeah. Well, the cops fucked up big time with, with Gacy more than anything. Well, I bet you that we're going to find. Oh, baby. Yes, we are. fucked up big time. <laughs> Now Dahmer, at this point, Dahmer had found himself in yet another perfect storm of his own doing. He had been able to live out his fantasy, taking what he wanted, along with taking an innocent life, and not only sated his deepest, most horrific urges, but did it without, quote unquote, remembering the awful part, because he said he blacked out. He could get what he wanted as long as he didn't remember. And uh, just in case you were wondering, the reason this man blacked out during his violent crimes is because he was black out fucking drunk. It wasn't like some psychosis he went into that he kind of presents it as. He presents it as his dark side. This man was a fucking alcoholic. He was black out drunk. He was too drunk. used to it. Yeah. He was, he was just, too yeah. used to being black out drunk. It just became part of it. So yeah, he just gets thing. black out drunk and then the real him comes forward. <sighs> he gets mean and rages and he murders the, the people that are there. In a separate interview, we also see Dahmer, in my opinion, kind of slip up once again and show that his fear wasn't actually the guilt of murdering, but it was that of getting caught in accountability. Uh, again, this came from a 1993 interview from CBS. Quote, that's what happens when you think you don't have to be accountable to anyone. You think you can hide your activities and never have to account for them. It can yep. lead to anything then, which it did. End it's quote. barely a motivation. It's like, no, it's all about him doing- not getting caught. All about him not getting yeah, caught. It's, you're just doing the bare minimum so that you can continue to like go get McDonald's or whatever the mm-hmm. fuck. A hundred percent. It's just, I think it's just for me, it's frustrating to see how many people still like don't even either hear this or read it and always just imagine that if he had just been given help, he would have stopped. And, and that's not necessarily true. I think he probably would have found a way to live through his fantasies one way or another. Regardless, as the weeks went on, Dahmer continued his scheduled therapy sessions with his doctor. If you remember, he got forced by court order while his paranoia and worry would slowly subside as he came to realize nobody was piecing two and two together and nobody came looking for Steve Tuomi. That he was, for all intents and purposes, safe from the repercussions of his heinous act. If Dahmer was right about anything, though, it was that this certainly was the first of many 
a sort of catalyst that he removed all pretense of trying to even stop the thoughts and urges and instead give into them and act on them. It would only be a couple of months before those urges became too powerful to ignore again. Mind you, there was a nine-year gap, and now we're at, we jump right to a two-month gap before he's ready for the next one. Like, just right back into it. Not even a, you know, lost a step. Like, he's just been wanting this for a long time. On January 17th, 1988, Dahmer, on his way home from Club 219, saw a young boy of only 14 years old by the name of James Doxator at the bus stop. After brief introductions, Dahmer offered him $50 to come spend the night with him at his grandmother's, which he accepted. Doxator was running away from home at the time, from an apparently a very aggressive stepfather, but loving mother who he tried to keep in touch with while he was on the road. And likely just looking for a place to stay safe for the night, he went with Dahmer. When Dahmer and Doxator returned home, Catherine Dahmer's grandmother was already well fast asleep. They went into Dahmer's room and for several hours engaged in some sexual activity. At some point, however, Dahmer convinced Doxator to come with him into the basement, where once again they simply spent more time. But the question sits, why even go to the basement in the first place if Dahmer wasn't planning on doing something anyway? How often is he, like, fucking? Uh, right now, um, well, a bunch. He's fucking a lot. Remember, he's going to those bathhouses still. He is so hooking up. So he sometimes is just going, like, it's not just any time that he's having sex, he's killing. Correct. He's sometimes just... Yeah. He's just being like a super horny gay dude yeah. now. Yeah, and never say it. Remember in the last episode, we talked about how he would constantly say he wished that they would just lie there and do nothing. And that he had nine total incidents at the bathhouse before he, they fucking kicked him out. That is just, that is just like, in, like, how, like imagine finding that. Imagine find you're being the, you're the guy in charge of the bathhouse. And then you're like, that was who? <laughs> yeah, God. Uh, that would, oh, God. It, uh, uh, that would be the worst. And it's. Yeah, it's just, again, a different time as well that this 14-year-old would go back. And it's so weird because we're going to talk about it later in this episode. But it seems like molestation was just way more acceptable back then. Like in the 60s through the 80s, seemed like everybody was getting a little bit of finger on the ball situation. Because the way another victim speaks about it later, it seems so like he expected it. Like there was no... No surprise. Wasn't he wasn't he a sex worker? You're thinking of a different one which we won't be getting to right away. We're getting to, you're thinking of somebody else, which is a different a different story who was a sex the worker. The 14-year-old? There's multiple 14-year-olds. There's and there's a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old. <sighs> there's yeah, I'm sorry to ruin it, but there's that's a the last thing you should have that's the worst <laughs> that's the last thing you could have that's the absolute worst thing you could have said. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just you can't confuse your 14-year-olds. You're right. I I was I was confusing Don't confuse my your I was confusing my 14-year-old sex murder victims. That's my <laughs> yeah. Bad. This one was not a sex worker. Uh, he was running away from home, looking for a place to stay. When they returned back, his grandmother was asleep. And yeah, they went after messing around in the room, they went to the basement. And again, there was no reason for them to go to the basement, but, and, and they didn't even do anything right away down there. They just spent time together for a while down there. But I, again, the question is why even go there? Does, is it, Dahmer wouldn't go there, I don't think, if unless he was planning on being violent or doing something nefarious with him, um, no matter what he says uh, otherwise. And as the night went later and early morning was just around the corner, Doxator told Dahmer that he couldn't stay too late into the morning and would have to leave in just a few hours. And much like we know of his first kill, this seemed to trigger something in Dahmer to make him act. He served him one last drink 
heavily mixed with sleeping pills and let them kick in. Eventually, the boy fell asleep on Dahmer's lap, where Dahmer cuddled him until the sun began to rise. In a very methodical way, once the sun was up, Dahmer stood up and laid out a white sheet on the floor, then laid the boy out on it and strangled him quietly. He then quietly went upstairs to have his morning breakfast with his grandmother, like nothing was happening while Doxator's body lay in the fruit cellar. The body would lay there, with Dahmer occasionally visiting it for weeks, until his own grandmother spoke up about something smelling in the basement, which is reminiscent of John Wayne Gacy. Remember the, the whole stink coming up from his crawl space is what triggered the initial investigations. Dahmer simply said that it was the cat litter and he would take care of it. And that following Sunday, Dahmer did the exact same thing he did with Steve Tuamis with the remains of Doxator, with one notable exception. After smashing the bones to dust and getting rid of uh, the body in the same way where he put it out on the street corner for the trash, he kept the head. His plan was to keep the head indefinitely, saying that when he brought it out, it felt like he was with Steve again. He boiled the head to rid it of the flesh and then boiled it in bleach, with his but his methods ended up making the bone very brittle. And after- Wait, Steve? Uh, the first guy? Sec they're both named Steve. <laughs> what? Steve, is Steve the hitchhiker, then Steve Tuomi, which was the guy who was in the uh, hotel room. There was two Steves. His first two victims were Steve and Steve. Right, okay, so whose skull are we talking about right now? Right now we're talking about Doxator. We're saying oh. he did to Doxator's remains the what same he thing he did to Steve Tuomi's remains with the exception that he kept Doxator's head. But he did he, not keep Steve's head. No, he did not. Okay. Um, he boiled Doxator's head with uh, bleach and um, to, to clean it and get rid of the rem remnants of the skin. But doing this made the bone too brittle. And he says after two weeks, he had to dispose of the skull as it was falling apart. Too and brittle for what? He would hey, yeah. Do you really want to, is that a no, rhetorical I don't question, want to know. Alex? I, you know what? If that's not part of the episode, let's not get it. Yeah, I didn't it. write down that was part of the episode. I figured we would move on from that point. <laughs> <laughs> the last victim to fall, uh, the last victim to fall to Dahmer while he lived with his grandmother was a man by the name of Richard Guerrero. He offered Richard the same thing he offered the last victim, $50 to spend the night with him. And when they'd returned to the house, his grandmother had already gone to bed. They went into his bedroom, had sex, and only after two hours, Dahmer had decided it was time for him to die. After Guerrero passed out from the drink, Dahmer strangled him, sexually abused the corpse for hours afterward, and would not wait, uh, but he would not wait a week this time to remove the corpse. The day he brought him home was Sunday, after all, and his grandmother was going to be out today. So instead of letting the body rot for a week, he took, uh, he took to what he was getting accustomed to doing again, dismembered, chopped up, and smash the pieces uh, of his latest victim. The only difference is he once again kept the skull, but this time boiled it in a diluted bleach mixture and was able to actually clean it and keep the skull intact. And much like before, this skull would be brought out time and again to sate his fantasies, desires, and even simply his loneliness, as once again having the skull out made it feel like he was connected to him. <sighs> As just mid-sentence, I watch Jesse whip his head back and forth, and his head disappears into his palm. <laughs> I can't tell if he sees people as things with which he can control and own, or if it's in the same vein of a hunter 
who kills a deer and then puts their head on a on the mantle or whatever or on the I'm wall. I'm thinking more. I'm thinking more like a Doom Three level designer. Sure, sure, where my sure. At. But that demon who put that skull in that room in Doom, in Doom. My question is. Is that demon one that loved that skull? Like, I really appreciate that skull. <laughs> or is that demon like, you know, it was either that or a vase. I, I, don't, I, think, I don't know. I think it's, I think it is. I think it is that. I think it's just like, he's a demonic evil person. So he's got, he doesn't care about some, some certain things. But I think he likes the skull. I think, because. I think it's both. But he I clearly think cares both. because there's a sexual aspect to it. Like, he's proud of it and he wants to like rub up on the skull. And I'm not over here like, you know, this controller, ha. You know what I mean? Like, it isn't, y'all missed, everyone for, at home missed me rubbing a controller on my body, so. I liked it. For him, it was, it was, I think it's both. I think, I think there is a part of him that, the, remember, he's always been enjoyed, like, taxidermy of some kind, skulls and rotting animals for their bones and shit. But there is a huge part of it that is, to him, in his mind somewhere, like, he's spending time with this person. That, like... He has them forever. They will forever be with him as a part of him. And that line of thought eventually brings him to cannibalism later he on. He controls. Oh, yes. you know what? That is 100. Yeah. All right. That checks out. I think the word I think the word we're looking for here, honestly, and I know this is like oversimplifying a little bit, but I genuinely think the word we're looking for is just that it was his hobby. I mean, in a way, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, it's there's like a possessive nature to it. And what Mathis was just saying. I think it's fascinating because the idea of I own a thing is like, well, eventually you, you won't anymore. Eventually, whatever that thing is, you will no longer. But if I were to eat it and make it part of me, then could I ever really lose uh, it? Yeah, and that's where we get to. Is it now a part? Like, that's a whole, like, that is that yeah. whole, that, that's the kind of thing where it's, it's that tropey, like, if I can't have you, no one will idea of just it's that level of like if you i'm the one who can love you and to prevent you from being loved by anyone else i'm going to kill you like that it's that level a hundred percent but i for some reason i believe that Dahmer is the one who starts to like interior decorate a little bit with oh his, he does uh, <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> that's why i say it's i think it's a it's it's a little of both but i think the majority of it is that weird possession part of me kind of thing it's like it's like yeah it's like half that and half like your dorm like getting your dorm to look your game room well no he just hung out a piece uh remember he got to hang up that picture of that vice president whose name i already forgot madison something something madison remember james madison yeah no not james madison oh god man talker whatever there was a vice president he hung up the only thing he hung up in his dorm room that he spent five months before he went home too drunk to go to school oh yeah 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 i can't remember who it was but i'm just saying like okay like for example right like i have like or maybe not me, I'm not the best example, but like I know a lot of video game players who have like shelves where they have like colored lights and like a box art that sits there and it's like as you lit. look behind me and it's just well, like but all yours display. yours is like a bookshelf. Like yeah, I'm talking sure, about sure. the people who like they have a set when they stream mm, and they have like mm-hmm. Uh, you know, here's my like Xbox achievement trophy that lights up whenever I get an achievement and it's next to my like xbox controller that i don't use but is like a cool custom color that i like their g fuel mini fridge like i think i think half of it is what jesse's saying all three of those things (laughs) yeah i wish i I had all of them 
but that's what I'm saying. I think half of it is what Jesse's saying, like to a T, like part of me, it's like mine, I'm it, it's me. But then I also think it's just like like MMO create a character type shit. Like you're just trying to look awesome in your in your little den, like the same way anybody is. Well, gamer, I, it's a gamer cave. Remember that thought. Don't because that thought's I think that thought is gonna come back towards the end of this episode. Um I like that thought. <laughs> So when it comes to Dahmer's victims and, and, and uh, we typically only know the little bits that lead up to it, <coughs> excuse me, the little bits that lead up to it. And then obviously the crime itself, we very rarely get a look into how Dahmer acted prior to the murders happening. But after the Guerrero crime uh, that, that he went through, Dahmer had an encounter with another potential victim that ended up getting away in a very bizarre fashion. So a man by the name of Ronald Flowers was at Club 219 the night Dahmer approached him who, uh, when he was on the payphone. Flowers' car was dead, and he was attempting to find a ride or somebody to jump his vehicle. Dahmer approached, and seeing that he had trouble, offered him a ride cab back to his, a cab ride back, rather, back to his place, where they'd grab his car and then head back and jump this man's vehicle. Of course, Dahmer didn't have a freaking car. Uh, uh, you would think if he did, he would have drove into the club, but Flowers agreed and hopped into the cab with Dahmer. Flowers notes that in the cab ride, the way Dahmer acted was very suspicious. He completely avoided eye contact, was difficult to have genuine, just regular conversation with, and spent a good time uh, of his, uh, or a good chunk of his time when he did talk, complaining about his family, life, etc. Being a very kind of just depressive individual, as you would imagine Dahmer probably was. Eventually, they arrived back at Dahmer's place, entered the front door, and were greeted with the distant voice of Dahmer's grandmother, asking if Dahmer was, if everything was all right, to which uh, Dahmer replied yes, and that he was only grabbing a cup of coffee from the kitchen. And I think this is maybe what saved uh, Flowers that night. That his grandmother was Honestly, awake. Honestly, how home. the fuck didn't this happen every time? It was right? An apartment, yeah. Right? She was. Uh, uh, first of all, she was asleep every time, and it was his grandmother's house, not the apartment. We're not in an apartment right now. We are in okay. his grandmother's home. But how big is the house? A couple bedrooms, like two bedrooms, a kitchen. Uh, it's a one, you know, single floor, small uh, house. But he has. A, but he has the basement. He has the basement. He has the fruit cellar downstairs, which is where he takes I, them. I just could not imagine being in a house with someone that I'm living with and hiding the fact that I'm murdering people in the house that we're both in. That yeah. just seems so crazy to me that this is the first time that she has any inkling that there's somebody there. Well, okay. It's also important to know, and we'll talk, uh, we'll, it's going to come up again. Um, but his grandmother was aware that he was going out late. Remember that's why he rented hotel rooms most of the time because his grandmother didn't like him coming home late. It was not very Christian. And his grandmother was aware of him bringing home strange friends. And that's how she referred to them. Strange friends, uh, which was just her way of being like Dahmer was gay and it made me uncomfortable. Flowers, after uh, noting that Dahmer seemed to reply uh, to his grandmother, implying he was alone, noted that after they got to the kitchen, Dahmer was very visibly anxious and openly shaking. After a small drink of coffee, he then notes that's when he started to get sleepy and Flowers began blacking out and passing out. Oh, was it the coffee? He drugged the, yeah, he drugged the coffee. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. Only to wake up two days later in the hospital. Whoa! Being informed that he was found out in a field lying there somewhere. 
There were no signs of drugs in his system, no signs of sexual assault on his body, but his bracelet and $200 were missing. His brother had to come and actually pick him up from the hospital. And Flowers notes that he found two bruise marks around his neck and his underwear was inside out. Now, did he did he rob him? Seemingly, yes. Uh, Dahmer did. Yes, seemingly. Whoa. Now, I want to point something out about Flowers in particular. While Flowers absolutely was a victim of Dahmer and was drugged by Dahmer and, and likely abused by Dahmer, Flowers over the years story changed a lot. Not the details of Dahmer taking him, but the, the, what Dahmer was doing uh, when he went there. Initially, it was just this short story. Then it became it, it became so elaborate that Dahmer was at one point, according to one of his stories, humming and, and chanting to himself, sitting on the ground while holding a knife, which didn't really fit again Dahmer as an individual. That's not how he does it. Yeah. That's not how he did it at this point. I also think a lot of it too, you know, kind of looking at the history and his multiple interviews. I think Flowers was also not willing to admit that he went back not for car troubles, but that he was actually also gay since they were at Club 219 and uh, was hiding the fact that he was going back maybe with with Dahmer initially for sexual reasons and really was trying to hide a lot of the truth. So so what is what you're saying is an 80s sucked for being a gay man. Yes. By forcing those in the gay community to remain silent oh, yeah, on yeah. their sexual preferences, um, it allowed for creeps like Dahmer and other to prey on them and it made it hard for police or anyone trying to stop it from actually being able to stop it because everyone was too afraid of the cultural repercussions of them being out and openly gay. Is that, is that, is that kind of what you're telling me? By God, I, I think you might be onto something, Jesse. Hmm, I think you might be onto something. That's Coupled so with crazy. the fact that all of his victims were minority people of like Latin descent, black folk, like everybody was also something. The cops had this inherited, at, especially in the 80s, bigoted, mm. ignore it, kind of look at, you know what I mean? Mm, this racism that may or may not be built into the time period of the 80s. Crazy. And, you know, still today. Uh, so again, da Flowers was absolutely a victim of, of Dahmer. And I think his initial- And the man. Yeah, uh, and of society. Um, but I also think his first story is probably the most true where Dahmer was likely shaking and anxious and awkward and whiny. And then uh, they likely like maybe had a few drinks or whatever. And then he passed out. He doesn't know what happened for two days. And he was found, which is which is crazy because if his grandmother is the thing that stopped Dahmer, why didn't he just wait until his grandmother was asleep and then continue on with what he was doing? I also at this point need to say that Flowers in a later story says the reason he initially got away was that he actually put up a fight and tried to fight Dahmer and passed out somewhere away from the apartment building. Again, the details of what happens when he gets to the house, not the apartment, the house rather, um, get more elaborate and change as his story progresses over the years. Whatever the case, I think that this would, you know, this initial look at Dahmer's behavior, according to Flowers, is probably the most correct just an awkward, nervous dude who just wanted to get to the end of it and get what he wanted and not really care. So you get the sense that he doesn't have, he doesn't like, like killing even at all. Like he's, he's reluctantly killing. People. I think Dahmer sees, yeah, I think Dahmer sees killing as, I don't think, I don't think Dahmer ever took pleasure in killing. It wasn't what he was doing it for. I think Dahmer saw it as a, an almost a nuisance that he to get what he wants. He has to do this act 
that is violent and horrible and sometimes difficult and like he has to get blackout drunk to do it a lot of the times but i don't think he truly felt regret for taking a life he just didn't like doing it because it was a hassle um moving on though still uh, unlike the uh, unlike the others though after this after this and after the uh, hospital visit Fl flowers did go to the police and reported Dahmer for what happened and on april 5th Flowers brought the police to Dahmer's grandmother's house where they interviewed him and Dahmer and of course scared the shit out of his grandmother. She had no idea what was going on. And Dahmer, of course, denied everything the police said, saying that Flowers didn't get drugged. He had simply drank too much, was way too drunk, and Dahmer was being a good Samaritan, taking him home and taking care of him in the meantime. And the cops were more than happy to hand wave the whole thing away and since Flowers had no actual physical proof of anything, nothing came of it. Ronald Flowers would go on to say he saw Dahmer at Club 219 one more time and actually approached him, asking him, do you remember who I am? To which Dahmer said he didn't. And Ronald claims that he lunged at him, attacking him, saying you attacked me and you drugged me, screaming at Club 219. And whatever guy Dahmer was talking to at the moment warned him not to go home with this guy. He can't be trusted. He'll do something awful. And the guy apparently got up and walked away. And Dahmer eventually left the club pretty early that night with having that huge scene play out. Hell yeah. He was, Hell he yeah was to that dude. Yeah. Damn right. That exactly. Hell yes. Damn right, yeah, he very well likely saved a life on that night. The incident with Flowers would be the final one in his grandmother's house. His grandmother had become very uncomfortable with Dahmer's odd hours, the bar hopping and his alcoholism with his whole family was well aware he was back into again, and the random strangers that he brought home from time to time that she called his strange friends. They even attempted, the family did, to get Dahmer tested for alcoholism, but that only lasted four sessions before Dahmer just stopped going. Way too taken with his new obsession, knowing that alcohol was kind of the key to getting what he wanted. In the weeks leading up to him eventually moving out of the house, because his family had made the decision that he should probably leave his grandmother's house with how uncomfortable she was, uh, he couldn't indulge in his fantasies. But Dahmer had taken up a new obsession at home in the meantime. And no, it isn't collecting dead bodies like a child. Dahmer had become obsessed with Star Wars Return of the Jedi. And he watched it on television on repeat multiple times a week at his house with his grandmother. So obsessed with the movie that it was pretty much the only thing he watched. I get it. <laughs> but you might not get this part because more specifically, he was a huge fan of the Emperor even buying yellow eye contacts that he could wear around to look more like him and to be more like Star the Star Wars Emperor? The Star Wars Emperor from Return of the Jedi. Um, the, the dude who gets thrown down a pit? Yeah, he loved the Emperor. It was his favorite character. He bought yellow contacts. Dude fell to the dark side IRL? <laughs> yes! God, that, that is... Comical is the right word, but like it shouldn't be. Like that's so ridiculous. It's, it's fucked up to me because I have this visual of of Dahmer's like altar in my brain. Yes, which yeah, we'll we'll get into more next episode. But I did not know that he has like a fixation on Sheev Palpatine. <laughs> yes. Not only that, but now if you look at the Netflix poster, now it'll make sense why his eyes are yellow. Yeah. 
Okay, well, there you go. That's all. He he wore them during killing sometimes, but, you know, it, he, he I don't know what it was. I don't know why the emperor called to him. I think he was just like, he he's like trying to accept that he's an evil individual and he can be like the emperor. Maybe it's how he saw himself. You know, as a kid, I wanted electric hands too, so I get it. I, understand. I mean, that would have been, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I did try to barter with the devil, My you know, but I also... Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like... But right. I also wasn't like 25 murdering people then you know i've always trying. wanted to say so be it jedi <laughs> you think he, do you think he said that at any 100% point 100 percent, he did 100 percent, <laughs> he was like yes yes he did the whole thing if he was uh, if he would have been around for uh episode one two and three he definitely would have been like no no <laughs> he would have done the whole thing yeah Absolutely. he would have been, been one of the ones dressed up going to the premiere every Absolutely. time Absolutely. Luckily, he, he had did those not contacts. watch episode nine, or he would have somehow come back to life. And, <laughs> somehow. Oh, God. At this point in Dahmer's life, he was taking yet another step toward what I consider the surreal. Dahmer was finally beginning to take steps toward another deep, twisted fantasy that he'd been planning for many years. His own personal altar, and yet more grandiose, he is his desire to create his own temple. He purchased a long black table and two statues of griffins to sit alongside it. See what I'm He's saying? Like, Emperor Palpatine makes this so much weirder. <laughs> and for him, these griffins were there to be protectors of his altar as it came to being. Well, of course, his Imperial Guards. Yeah. If he had one of those, one of those chairs that had, like, the big back that, like, turned and moved... He can swivel. Oh, dude. Wait till you just. So he was like always looking out a window and someone would enter the room. He's always looking away. And then he swivels around like. Dude, Welcome the big, the, you, you laugh, but the big chair was part of the design. We'll, <laughs> we will talk about that's not this episode. That'll be in the, in the next, in the final Dahmer episode. Yeah. I need to say, I do. I need to just say this. What a fucking goober. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's his fucking, there's even a picture of him, his drawn sketch of the plant. We'll talk about it's it, I even, promise you. It's even worse than being like a fucking stupid ass joker guy. Right? It is. It's I do. I think it's worse. I think it's worse. Uh in uh I think some of Sam, son of Sam would be a joker guy. Sure. We'll oh, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Dude, yeah. dude, dude. You will see like, that. Wait, just wait when we like, talk about him. Yeah. Um, taxi driver, like that is, vibes. Yeah. yeah. I can, now that you've now that you've said this, it's cracked the whole thing open for me. That's all I see is him like prancing around in like a black robe. Like him going, yes. dude. Wait, oh, wait. In the background, during a lot of his murders, the movie he would have on in the background often, and it was uh, The Exorcist Three. Oh, that was his favorite movie, and, and he would play The Exorcist Three yeah. plus some weird music while he poisoned and like planned on killing them. I'm afraid your friends on the central yeah. moon. <laughs> That's see, so you know you would have been you would have been having a great time at Dahmer's. You would have been having a rum and coke, feeling <laughs> sleepy and giggling at He would have got you, a, dude. He would have yeah, got you. You would have been a Dahmer victim. He would have got you right you. in with the return of the Jedi. If any man. serial killer were to get you, Al, uh, Jesse, would do you think it would be Dahmer? Um, no. That may change as we do more serial killers. I'll be, of course. I'll be, I'll be real. It would definitely be like Granny Doss, who's like being all nice and <laughs> loving on you. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna help this lady out, and she'd be like, you're dead, and we're like, oh. Moving forward, after buying those tables, uh, it wouldn't be too long before he would be moving into his new apartment. And in June of 1988, 
Dahmer moved into the now demolished, infamous location of the majority of his worst crimes, 808 North 24th Street. Life for Dahmer continued on the surface to be extremely boring. He would tend to his day job at the chocolate factory, stirring up chocolate, then go home or hit the bars and get drunk, or maybe hit one of the bathhouses and get laid. Dahmer was sated, but only for a few months again, before going back onto the streets and looking for his first victim in his new place, with all the privacy he could hope for, in an, in an apartment anyway. It's here where Dahmer, it's here I think Dahmer also much more quickly vanishes to the police, as though they kind of like put on Dahmer invisibility glasses. Dahmer was living in a very poor part of town in a primarily, I think everybody but Dahmer uh, in the apartment was also black. Like he completely in a point where like the police ignore. And while living here, Dahmer was uh, investigated, questioned, even arrested multiple times for very similar crimes that we'll always get to. Um, and for various reasons, he was always let go for whatever. Sometimes it was because of the sexuality thing implied or the cops just didn't care enough to investigate a complaint. Um, there's one lady who went to the cops three or four times and they never even came to the apartment to look at things. So it's not that people didn't know shit was going down. The cops just didn't care. The first time when he was pulled over, you can almost almost kind of excuse the, the, the away the cops like mishandling of the situation. Almost. He did pass that drunk test and. You know, even with the trash bags that were smelling in the back, I guess you could kind of see how they may just be lazy for the night and let him go. But while, he lived, but while he lived in this apartment, that incompetence and bigotry that the police possessed, especially at this time, was his greatest shield. And his spree in this apartment had a chance to be stopped well before it ever got underway. On Monday, September 26th, at 3.30 in the afternoon at the Milwaukee School of Arts, a Laotian boy named Samsak uh, Sinathsophone was approached from behind by a tall, glasses-wearing murderer by, of course, the name Jeffrey Dahmer. And if I butchered that name, I apologize, but I, I feel like I did a pretty good job. I practiced What year it. is this? 1988. Okay. Still in the late 80s. Right. When he approached the boy, Dahmer pulled out his Polaroid camera and pitched the idea that had quickly become his go-to. He wanted to test out his new camera and would pay the boy 50 bucks to come back to his place and let him take some pictures with his new camera. Even Dahmer even went as far as to saying that he had already asked everybody in the schoolyard already and everybody said no. So please, could you just help me out? I, if I was that boy, that would have been a red flag. <laughs> like everybody said no. I'm good. But uh, that apparently worked and the boy agreed. And Dahmer took the boy not one block away to his apartment. He was one block away from the school. Somsack had asked Dahmer if he would need to strip or not. And with Dahmer dismissing it, saying it doesn't even matter. And this is what I was talking about earlier. He like asks, he's the one that asked Dahmer initially, like, so are we, am I stripping here? Or, or like, it almost feels like he expected it. He knew it. And Dahmer was like, he just kind of said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, and then further, Somsack then asked if it was for his personal collection or if this was like a professional thing. And Dahmer replied that it was just a new hobby of his. So some, this boy is just like, he's like, I know how this goes. Give me the 50 bucks. You'll get to look at my little boy body for a little bit and we'll God. be on our way. It's very fuck? strange. I know it's very strange. Well, when they entered the apartment, then Dahmer told him to remove his shirt. And when the boy pushed back asking that, cause he said it didn't matter before Dahmer insisted now saying it would make for a better picture. Once the shirt was off, Dahmer commented that Samsak had quote, a very nice body and began taking photos. 
further directing him to then lay on the bed, place his hands behind his head, where he took more pictures of Samsak. Afterward, they went into his kitchen, where Dahmer made them both coffee, with one being much more drugged than the other. And at Dahmer's insistence, Samsak drank it all, and rather quickly. After finishing the coffee, they moved back to the living room where more photos were supposed to be taken. Once again, his shirt had to come off, but this time Dahmer asked him to unzip his zipper and unbutton his pants for the photo. Already starting to, already rather feeling completely off and afraid, he partially complied, unzipping it about halfway. But Dahmer didn't take to that and stepped forward, forcibly zipping, unzipping it completely, and then without hesitation, reaching in and exposing the boy, trying to molest him, saying, quote, you know I want more than a picture. Somsack immediately Fuck. wrenched away and demanded to be let go. And as he was going for the door, Dahmer vocally shouted at, out at him and asked him to stop, saying, do me a favor, quote, do me a favor before you leave. Come and sit beside me. So he went and sat beside Dahmer. I don't know why that was his decision. He says, you know, it's just, it's, he probably told him he'd let him go. He yeah. probably just told him I'll let you go if you do this. But once he sat down, the next request got even weirder. Dahmer said he wanted to hear the boy's stomach. So he placed his head up against his exposed abdomen what? and just gently rested his head there for a little what? while. And at this point, I know it's very. Remember, he's obsessed with torsos like tor he's like weirdly up. That's like his loves thing. loves that torso. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Samsak started getting nervous and afraid. And after a little bit of time of him resting his head and being cradled on the boy's stomach, Dahmer began to gently lick and kiss at his stomach from navel to groin. Samsak jumped up, scared, and started to feel sick and went to leave. Once again, Dahmer shouted out and stopped him saying, hey, don't forget your $50 and don't tell anyone, okay? Handing the boy Damn. $50 and letting him leave, which is very strange. Samsak immediately left and went home, where he became groggy instantly, confused, and soon his father couldn't wake him. He took the boy to the hospital, and while at the hospital, Samsak would be detained there for a few hours, where he told police every detail. How is this not where this ended? That's a, isn't that that's a nice question, isn't it? Afterward, he took them to 24th Street and pointed out Dahmer's apartment where it took them very little time to identify the suspect. The next day, the police went directly to Ambrosia Chocolate Factory and in the middle of his shift, arrested Dahmer then and there for quote, second degree sexual assault and enticing a child for immoral purposes. How many people has he killed at this point? Four? We are on, yeah, I believe that he has totally done one. Yeah, it's four, four he's done. And he killed 17? Yes. After? Getting arrested for kidnapping, drugging, and sexually abusing a kid? Yes. And very likely planning on killing that kid. 100%. I mean, the fact that... I am I surprised to, that Dahmer rest. got to put his head on the boy's chest and the boy got away. When he went back that's to go I'm sit saying. down, like, for I think most of his victims, that's, that's the end of the story for them. But he... I don't know why, but Dahmer, for, for this particular one... Like, let him go without a fight, without, a, without even trying to stop him, beyond the vocal asking. Like, in other cases, just, he does make aggressive physical attempts at stopping people from leaving, but this one he doesn't. Okay. So, at this point, 
he gets brought uh, afterward, rather, Somsack then brings the police to his apartment on 24th Street and pointed out Dahmer's apartment where it took them very little time to identify Dahmer, like I said, and they uh, arrested him in the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. When he got arrested, Dahmer seemed more embarrassed with the public arrest rather than the crimes themselves and was taken to jail where he would spend six days in anxiety and panic as the police were to go through his apartment meticulously. And they did go through his apartment. What they found were the, uh, the and what they found and removed were the Polaroid camera, photos of Somsack, a bottle of Bailey's Irish cream, some uh, male nude magazines, and sleeping pills. And a couple skulls? What they neglected to somehow find was the preserved skull of Richard Guerrero, who was still, uh, that was still in Dahmer's possession and regularly being brought out for use. So use no, I, I, I don't want to know you, you, I think, you know, I think you, unfortunately, well, I mean, he already described it to us last time. I have a basic, <laughs> I have a basic idea, but I just, I can't imagine doing that more than one time. Like I can't imagine doing it. We and learned then, last time he kept the head until it rotted. I'm just yeah. saying like doing that one time going through that experience and being like, I'm going to try that again later. Just <laughs> seems... gonna, yeah. He perfected the craft. You got the mixture right. Yeah. If you don't think of it as like a rotting person, if you don't think of it, if it's just like a thing, just a flashlight, you can see how you would. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> you can see that is a man's head. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. I'm just saying, if you don't think that way, like that is a thing I show my wiener to. It's a different, it's a, di it's a different <laughs> thought process. You're 100% right about that. It is a very different thought process indeed. Shoutouts to my Wild Wild West fans in the audience. So it's at this point we see the police mess up again. And in, in my mess opinion, up. This, this is the first fuck up from the cops that is severe. Little oopsie. Little oopsie. Little there. oopsie from the police. And so Jeff, Jeff was arrested for six days. And after Jeff. they went through his apartment and didn't find anything, they brought him to court. And the judge sentenced him to what else than a year in prison, followed by two years of uh, basically probation outside of it. But before he went to prison, he was ordered to have a psychological evaluation. And having heard of the crime of his son, Lionel came down to visit him. It's here where Lionel learned that Jeffrey Dahmer, his son, was indeed gay. To Dahmer's, uh, according to Dahmer, his father took it, quote, relatively well and didn't say much about it, asking why Dahmer didn't tell him earlier, where Dahmer says he was embarrassed. Which I, I honestly, I think that's true. They were very, his father was very religious as well. I bet you it was not, you know, it's not a time where coming out was, you know, really an, remotely like a, uh, a thing that you could do. It just makes me so sad to think about that. It just makes me so sad to think about how many people just wanted to tell someone they're gay. It's, inf it's infuriating. It's, it's nuts. But moreover, his father actually attempted to set things right still. He approached the, uh, the he had talked to the judge and spoke to the therapist that they were seeing and urged them to reconsider his sentencing, that he feared that if Jeffrey Dahmer had hit the streets again, he would simply slip back into his old uh, repeated behaviors and more terrible things would happen. Little did he know what terrible things his son had already done. And Dr. Lottel, the first doctor to look over and meet with Dahmer over the, uh, a period of many different uh, meetings, 
wrote essentially a scathing review of Dahmer, saying that he was not suited remotely to be going out, that he seemed like he would absolutely perform more crimes, and that when he did speak with him, he was agitated, uh, withdrawn, giving monosyllable responses to all questions, and just kind of, in my mind, almost like a toddler that got caught. You know, just kind of being shut down and not wanting to play. It's like his Buster game. Bluth when he learns to <laughs> curl into a ball. Yes, when he gets attacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how Gacy was similar when he went to prison too. Remember, he'd fake being having a heart attack to get out of being beaten up for his own shit. Yeah. But still, uh, his father wanted to ensure that he was getting the correct diagnosis and went for a second opinion. And Doctor Goldfarb would be the next one to see Dahmer, who would write and even more scathing review of Dahmer, how he shouldn't be released in all of this review. I guess that's a weird way to put it. Uh, uh, he just like a very um, <laughs> he panned him in variety, <laughs> a very negative um, outlook for Dahmer's future if he was let back out on the streets. And uh, they were both sent to the judge. Everything was looked at by the by the, the judge and the like. And yet his sentence never changed. But Dahmer would still spend some time in prison before being let back out. And that's where we're going to pick up the final episode of Jeffrey Dahmer, his life in prison, the weird friends he made, and his final spree over the course of just about two years to kill 15 other, or rather at this point, sorry, uh, 13 other boys and men. <sighs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, next week, unfortunately, will be not Dah will, won't be Dahmer part four. I'm going to be in L.A. for the next week or so, so we won't have really a time for me to put it together. Chilluminatipod.com, Alex's Big Smile, not Jesse's Big Smile. Jesse can suck a fat one, get out of here. But if you want to break, if you want to make Jesse smile, bring your redheaded friends. I'll give you a, I'll give you a tip, uh, audience. It's real easy to make Jesse smile. I don't even know what that means, but like, you can find Just out. I think you're right. Illuminatipod.com. <laughs> 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 We're off to record a mini-sode for Patreon or at patreon.com slash Illuminatipod. We'll be back next week with a mini-sode compilation or something of the sort. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Marry my co-host.